morning. We'll get to announcements, and we've got a big announcement for you this morning here in just a few moments. But before we do, uh, we thought that it would be fun for you guys to just see some of this process and using the camera and being online and everything has taken some getting used to. And so uh, we thought you'd like to look behind the scenes a little bit. Enjoy. Like that? Yeah. Good. Good morning. We'll get things started here in just a moment. But before we do, uh, we thought that... No, start over. we got to start over. i got to say the uh, thing about the big announcement. Just okay, follow. so we're not gonna delete it. No, this is gonna be in there. See, <laughs> ammunition. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Wait, I did. Just saw yeah. red light. Yeah, it's recording. Is it go time? Oh, are you sure it's recording? It says record and it's counting. It's at nine and ten. We're good. So I'm going. Okay, here we go. Good morning, church. Well, good morning, church. Well, good morning and happy Easter. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody today. Uh, yada, 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 blee, blue, blee. Yak, 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 For test reasons. Talk a little louder, just in case. Talk a little louder, just in case. James. My voice isn't as deep as Caleb's. Oh. <laughs> 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 but I, I understand physics. Once you actually get in, like once I'm in, it's like I'm swimming. But once you're in, it's like I'm in. Four wheeler outside. We'll just, just there's a four wheeler outside. We'll wait just a moment, folks. We don't want someone to think that their ears are ringing or something. He's right there. I think we'll give it a few minutes. I think we'll be okay. You know, me and Sam were talking last night. I feel like I'm not even going to remember how to preach behind a pulpit in front of people anymore. Thanks for the encouragement, James. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and open to the book of Colossians. church it is a great day to to be able to worship together it's resurrection day the first day of the week the day that we recognize and celebrate that jesus is alive and so you have chosen the right day to worship with us uh, historically speaking um, i hope that you have had a great week uh, last week and that this week is uh, holding many blessings and that god showers you with his grace and goodness today we're going to have a, a message from colossians as we've been doing the last several weeks and, uh, and I'm hopeful and I'm prayerful that it is encouraging and that it is uplifting and that it challenges our hearts. Before we do that, I just want to remind you guys of a couple of things announcements-wise before we get things started. First of all, just a reminder that what we do this morning is meant to be a group exercise. 
Uh, this is a group activity. We're not able to meet in the flesh at our church building, but yet this is a group uh, you know, activity. We want to grow together in this and discuss the word together and be encouraged together. And so at the end of our time this morning, we'll have discussion questions as we've been doing and use those uh, so that your family can be encouraged. You know, heads of household, use that to disciple and shepherd the people under your roof. We want to make sure that we are being good stewards uh, of our families in that way. Speaking of being a good steward, continue, please, to give faithfully uh, your uh, finances, tithes, and offerings. Man, I'm so proud of you guys, our church, in doing so. It's already been um, good, and God has been gracious in that, and you've been faithful in that, and so please continue to do so. Again, you can give by mail, and, and the mail address is right below on your screen. Uh, that's there, and you can mail that in at 503 Spring Hill Road. Uh, that's, that's available, but also we now have available online giving, and so that link you'll find below as well. And it'll also be in the description of this video. Um, and we can email that to you if you just request it. It's, we want to make that as accessible as we possibly can uh, so that you can be faithful in giving. And those of you that have been, thank you uh, again for continuing to be faithful in that way. Uh, continue to be the church, all right? Continue to pray for one another and to send an encouraging text or phone call. Uh, it's hard to do that as we're socially distanced, but we can uh, be good stewards even now in this time of distance to be the church uh, for one another. Okay, so uh, there's been a teased big announcement coming up, and I want to give you that announcement now. And that is that next Sunday on the 10th of May, we are going to meet together at our church building. Uh, I've really been longing for this, and so I'll give you some details about that, but it is a good day. Unless something happens, we believe that we'll be meeting on the 10th, Sunday, May 10th, uh, at our church building. Now, I say at our church building, because we won't meet in our church building. Again, weather permitting, we'll be outside in our front parking lot uh, meeting and having church, gathering as the church, and maybe singing a song and having the message, again, the next message in Colossians. And so uh, we're excited about meeting on next Sunday, the 10th, to do so. Now, you may be wondering, you know, is that okay? Is that, is that safe? Now, listen, safe is relative. Uh, we want to be wise about how we do this. That being said, you know, Governor Ivey released a, a safer at home um, order or an announcement. And so uh, because of some of the, the way that the, the reins were you know, loosened a little bit on that, I called Lamar County's sheriff office and I talked to the sheriff and I asked him about, you know, what it would look like for us to meet as soon as possible. And we talked about the option of meeting outside. And so uh, we have, you know, our local law enforcement's blessing to do this. I don't want you to feel like we're, we're usurping, you know, people above us and, and our governing authorities. We're honoring them because we have their blessing to go ahead and do this. And so we're going to have our open air meeting uh, outside. Um, a couple of details about that that I want you to be informed on. Now, you don't have to necessarily memorize these things because an email is going to be coming this week to make sure that you're informed about what this will kind of look like. But for one thing, we're going to be meeting in the front parking lot, which means we're going to be parking in the back parking lot and then walking around our building uh, to the front. You're going to sit with your party, the people that live under your roof. We're going to sit with the people that live under our roof. And then also we're going to distance ourselves at least six feet from anybody that's sitting around. Okay. So again, we want to be safe and wise about this. We're also encouraging us to, to you to not have to go inside for any reason, especially you know, if you use the bathroom. Again, just for safety reasons, unless it's an emergency, um, we want to just do the best that we can to be wise about how we do this and be good stewards of that. Um, also, you know, this is for this week. And so while we hope that there's progress that's made and that soon as, as things just improve and improve, we can be back in our building and so forth and so on, there's also a possibility that things could regress. And so this is for now. And if anything changes, then we'll have to 
go back to the drawing board. And so we'll just handle this on a week uh, to week basis and just see how, uh, how things unfold. So we'll take it a week at a time. That being said, uh, if you have small children or if you are elderly or if you are immunocompromised or for any other reason, you just don't really feel like, you know, you don't have a piece about going and still gathering with people and you're just not ready to do that yet. It's okay. All right. Please stay home. If, if you're not feeling well, if you're running a fear, whatever it may be, or you're just not comfortable, please continue to stay home. Because of that, I'm still going to be doing what we're doing right now. And we're going to be uploading this message with the help of Joel and James. We're still going to upload the message on Sundays so that you can sit and, and be in your home and still worship in this way. So just know that just because you're not you know, maybe able to be there with us in the flesh, we still want you to feel like you're worshiping with us, okay? And so you'll hear the same sermon, uh, and, and all those things will be the same, okay? It's not the same because you're not gathering with the church, and, and I realize that, but we want to, again, just minister to you at the best way that we know how, and also be respectful of maybe a desire to stay in and still be uh, more so cautious. And as I said, the logistics for that will be forthcoming, um, but right now the plan is to meet in the flesh on the 10th, which is next Sunday in front of our church building. You can send me questions, you can email me, whatever it takes, send me a phone call, a text message, that's fine. I'll answer whatever questions that I can, and I'll try to get the, the information to you as soon as I can, okay? Now, as far as this morning goes, let's get ready to dive into the Word and be encouraged and instructed by the book of Colossians to the Apostle Paul. We'll get that started after we pray in just a moment, but today is going to be a great day. However, we want to ask God's blessing because without the intervening power of God's Holy Spirit, it won't be a great day. And so let's go to the Father and pray and ask his favor on our gathering now. All right, let's pray. Father, you are marvelous and wonderful in every way. We thank you that your Holy Spirit indwells your people and that now as we worship, we're doing so in spirit and in truth for the edification of your church. Father, help us to be uh, growers and, and lovers of you. We thank you for a medium through which we can worship in this way, and we long for the future that we can be back as you designed it with the physical gathering of God's people. Lord, sustain us until that day and through those days. And now be with us as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and open to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 through 20. So I'll allow you just a few moments to get there. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20. Lately on, uh, on social media, one of the things that's sort of becoming a boom and becoming very popular are the funny church signs. And, you know, sometimes you'll be driving down the road and you'll see a funny church sign. Now, it's funny, I guess, contingent on your humor or lack thereof, or just a, a higher sense of, I don't know, but some people think it's corny. To be honest, I probably fall into that category. It's a little bit a little bit corny to me, but you know what I'm talking about. You see a sign that says, God answers an email. 
and that either makes you laugh or it makes you die a little inside, right? And so you see those church signs. I've had some people ask me, you know, why why haven't you changed uh, your church sign or, or our church sign? Our church sign is very simple, make much of Jesus, or making much of Jesus and loving above all else. And whenever I'm asked that question, you know, I usually give a, an answer that is probably unsatisfactory, but I'll tell you real honestly, the reason why that is on our sign and the reason why we haven't changed it is because we're still working on making much of Jesus. That is a, a goal and a mission that is difficult, and it's something that we haven't mastered. And so what a great thing to commit to ourselves as a church and seek to do is to make much of Jesus because that's really our task in this life. You know, Christianity isn't some religious calling to a specific way of life. It's more than that. Christianity is a daily response to the author of life. That's what the faith is. It's a response to who Jesus is. And the key to honoring him is very simply knowing him and making him known. He is the king of kings. That's Jesus. He is the king of kings. And we really already understand that in two ways. One, that he's already shown himself as the king of kings. It's already established his kingdom. He came on the scene and said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's the king. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's already arrived. And yet we haven't quite reached the place where Jesus's kingship has fully been realized. It's already and it's not yet. And the great task of believers is to live in light of our king as we long for him to now fully establish his earthly dominion. The reason I start with that is that built into our passage this morning is the kingship of Jesus. And so as we read today, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind that this is all about the wonder, the might, the majesty of the king of kings. All right. So Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, He, that's Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is a lofty, lofty section of this letter. The letter of Colossians is a letter of response and a letter of persuasion. Paul has an agenda, right? As he does in most of his letters, he has an agenda, the reason that he's writing, right? Now, we've already talked about this the past couple of weeks, but there is a false teaching that sort of made its way into the Colossian church. Basically, the false teaching was this, that there was a level of deeper spiritual enlightenment to be found. And these people were trying to convince Christian people, and they would probably even themselves call themselves Christians, but they would say, hey, listen, there's a deeper spiritual enlightenment to be found. There are rites and rituals and angels needing to be worshipped and so forth and so on. And so what we see here is Paul's response and persuasion. It's very simple. It's what it's been even last week, and that is to affirm the truth. The word is very important. The truth. Affirm the truth. And as you affirm the truth, what that does is deepen the roots that people, the church, has in faith in the gospel. 
So you affirm the truth and therefore you deepen the roots. And the goal of that is to be able to withstand the temptation to wander. Wander to things like these false teachings. Now so far, the first week that we looked at the book of Colossians, we saw that Paul encouraged the church because of their hope in the gospel that then produced faith and love actively. Last week we saw that the knowledge of God's will, he wants it and he wishes for them, he prays for them to know the knowledge of God's will, his desire, and that that knowledge would then lead them to have wisdom or knowledge in practice. And that that knowledge in practice would look like walking, verse 10 and just before this, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that if that's the case, then what happens after that is that God's church, the Colossian church, would then give thanks for the redemption that they have in Jesus. Now we talked about this again last week. That word redemption would bring to mind for Gentiles the freedom of slaves. That you know, the church, people all over the world are slaves to sin. And they have been, the church, people in Christ, have been liberated, have been set free, purchased from slavery to sin, and have been set free in the name of Jesus. That's been accomplished, we saw this last week once more, that was accomplished through the work of the Son. And that we now are citizens of the kingdom of the Son. Now, when I say the word kingdom, there's one part of that word that should really stand out. And that's the word king, all right? You can't have kingdom without a king. Kingdoms have kings. Who's our king? Our king is Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in this passage this morning. These verses, these six verses that we're looking at, are maybe the most Christ-exalting verses in the entire New Testament. And that's saying something, all right? This is maybe the most Christ-exalting passage in the New Testament. It's certainly up there. It's believed by many scholars to be Paul quoting an early church hymn or maybe a confessional statement. Now, it may be that these are original thoughts for Paul, but it doesn't quite line up with his writing style. And so he may be quoting a hymn or something that they would know that's in uh, circulation, but maybe not. All that to say, these are beautiful, beautiful words that make much of the name of Jesus. Jesus is king. And internalizing that central truth is the core of living for his glory. But Jesus' kingship is unique. You've already seen the title this morning, and I'll restate it now, the already and not yet king. It's already been realized, right? In some ways, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ has come, and yet we long for the day that it will be fully realized. But we see in this passage the already not yet king in two ways. Number one, that he is king of creation. Well, it's easy to understate that, but just consider what that means. He's not the king of a nation. He's not the king of a continent. Jesus is the king of creation. That's a grand scale. Now, whether it be from a hymn or a confession or this be an original thought from the mind of Paul, the words of this passage are divided right down the middle thematically. The supremacy of Jesus is on display in verses 15 through 17 in creation and then in his work in salvation in verses 18 through 20. So before we look at the work in salvation in verses 18 through 20, let's first look at 15 through 17 and look at the, the kingship, the supremacy of Jesus on display in creation. So let's look at verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay, so in this little verse, Paul makes two startling claims. Okay, number one, is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's all, right? That's a small thing. He's the image of the invisible God. 
Now, God had been made known, and he'd been known for thousands of years. He's already done a lot before Jesus was made flesh. Jesus, or God, is like the wind, right? You can't see wind, but it clearly is at work, and it's present by seeing things like trees bend and grass shake and clouds that travel to and fro from across the sky. You can't see wind, but you can see its dramatic impact. God's like that. You can see God. You can't see God, but he has been at work, and his impact is very easily seen. But in Jesus, God became flesh, human, a person. The word for that is incarnate, who is made flesh. Hebrews 1.3 sort of echoes this verse 15 when it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is what that means. Every ounce of power and sovereignty that parted the Red Sea, that consumed cities with fire, every ounce of that power is bound up in the person of Jesus the image of the invisible God. The second claim that he makes is that he's the firstborn of creation. There was a guy named Arius who had a huge following in the 4th century AD. This man suggested that Jesus was a creation of the Father, and that's what that meant, the firstborn of creation, that the Father created Jesus, but that's not what this passage means. Jesus was physically born, but he was born far after creation. Now, this word, firstborn, takes on not a literal significance, but a metaphorical significance. What I mean by that is that in the ancient world, the firstborn of royalty took on familial rights of ruling sovereignly and of dominion. Okay, So not physically, literally the firstborn, but he is metaphorically, familially, rightful owner of the rule of sovereignty and dominion. And so Jesus could take on flesh after many people and creatures, but... He was their ruler. In other words, he was their firstborn. Now, you've got to consider reading this verse. I'll read it again. He's the image of the invisible God. That's all, right? The firstborn, the heir of all of creation. Now, consider reading that as a first century reader. It's a startling claim to say that a poor Jewish handyman who was sentenced to capital punishment, death by hanging, by a federal law, upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's a big claim, all right? That's a big claim. How can this be? How is it possible that Paul could make that claim about this seemingly lowly man? Well, it's grounded in what he says next in verse 16. For, or because, by him, it may say through him in your translation, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen to this part. All things were created through him and for him. There's a lot going on in this passage, and we don't have time to break down each and every layer of this, but emphasis here is on all things. And we talked about false teaching in this place. The existence of spiritual beings and how they impacted human affairs was a very common fundamental component of the ancient worldview. And clearly, this was an important catalyst of the Colossian false teaching. And what we see Paul saying here is that those elemental spiritual powers are utterly unable to rival Christ in any way. It's It's a startling claim. Through him, he says, all things were created through him, by him, by his power, 
through him and for him. Now here's what that means. That Christ stands at the beginning of the universe as the one through whom the universe came to being. And, listen to this, and for him, he stands at the universe's end as the goal of the universe. The very reason for its existence. It was created for him, meaning for his glory. And then verse 17 chimes in, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So additionally, not only is he you know, active before, he brought everything into being, he was the agent of creation, and after, later, all things were created for him, but additionally, he is actively sovereign presently in that he holds together the universe. What a high statement about who Jesus is. I'll put it this way, you know, creation isn't some snow globe that God shook up and he's just kind of watching it do its thing. It's not some, it's not some miniature model of earth and he gave it a slap at the beginning of time and then now he's just been watching it spin and being a bystander. No, that's not a good illustration that represents God's and Jesus' involvement in the created order. No, he is actively right now at this very moment exercising dominion over his creation. Without him, gravity would cease to work. The planets would not stay in their orbit. The physical fabric of the universe would collapse. That's what that means. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power, as it says in Hebrews 1.3. Now, why is all of this worth mentioning? Well, the grandeur of Christ is clearly being attacked in first century Colossae, but creation displays the grandeur, the splendor, the artistry, the skill, the dominion of its creator. I love the song Purple Rain by Prince, and when I listen to Purple Rain, it's, first of all, it's just, it's just a vibe, right? It just, it just makes me happy to listen to it, and it's an awesome song. But when I listen to that song, I don't say to myself, man, that guitar really did its thing. Man, that guitar really just laid it down. No, I say Prince did his thing on that song, right? Why? Because the, to praise the creation doesn't make any sense. The creator is the artist behind it. Because creation shows the greatness of its creator. I'll put it this way. You are a small, but listen, vital part of a giant, beautified canvas that exists to display its creator as majestic, as powerful, and as sovereign. And I think one way that we apply that is to reorient your thinking. Reorient the way that you approach your day-to-day. -day. You exist for God. Created for, or through Christ, for Christ. That's your story. You were created for and through Him. What that means is that your job, your occupation, your job is not your job. Making much of Jesus is your job. Providing for your family is not your highest calling. Pointing your family to Jesus is your highest calling. Your career plans are subservient to your great commission plans. It means to reorient your thinking. You weren't created for you. You were created through the power of Christ for the glory of Christ. If Christ is king, he gets the first portion of who you are, not what you have left over at the end of the day. And I think too often, 
if we're honest with ourselves, we get so caught up and sensory distracted that we sometimes, and maybe oftentimes, get this backwards. He's the king of creation. That means he's the king of your existence. All things are created through him, but all things are created for him, and that includes every aspect of who you are. He's the already and not yet king. He's the king of creation. Secondly, he's the king of reconciliation. He's the king of reconciliation. Now, that's a big word. I was told one time that that's not a common word, and so we'll, I'm going to talk about what that word means. But this passage goes from a broad creational kingship to a more specific relational kingship. We've already talked about the bigness of the kingship of Jesus, right? The bigness over creation is huge. It's, it's magnificent. It's mighty and, and large. But it's also relational. It's personal. That word reconcile, it means that something, a relationship that was once together has been broken apart. But to reconcile means to take that once together, now broken apart relationship and put it together again. He's the king of reconciliation. And that is a ministry that Jesus took up when he came to earth, restoring a relationship with his church, which is the natural flow of this passage when Paul addresses the church next. Look at the first part of verse 18. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. We'll keep reading in just a moment. He says the head of the body of the church. Now, in the ancient world, the head was thought to be the governing member of the body. And in some ways, it still is, right? The head, you think because of your head. Hopefully, that's not news to you. And hopefully, you do think. The, the head is considered the governing body of, or the governing member of the body. That which both controlled it in the ancient world and provided its life and sustenance. That was the common understanding in the ancient world. And so, the head was very important. It gave life. It gave sustenance. Now, with that in mind... Keep reading verse 18. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that so that in everything he might be preeminent. Okay, so this makes, again, more claims about who Jesus is. He's the head, which means he's the provider of life for his church, the body. It then says that he's the beginning, which means that he is the founder. All right, And then it says he's the firstborn of the dead. Now that gets a little wacky, doesn't it? That doesn't mean that Jesus is a zombie. That's, that's not what Paul's saying. And if you were raised in the church, you probably know where I'm going with this. But to be the firstborn of the dead doesn't mean that Jesus is some walking zombie, the living dead. No, it means that he was the first one to walk from death, real death, to real life. <laughs> He's the firstborn of the dead. The first one to go from deadness to life once again. But here's the thing, church. He won't be the last. He won't be the last. It means, and this is the way that I like to see this, he got the resurrection party started. There's more to come. He got the resurrection party started. You and I enter the world dead. Dead as dead can be. And you may be walking around and you may have eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that beats. But apart from the work, the saving work of Jesus, you are a dead man walking. And that's the way the standing, the natural standing that we come into this world with, dead in our trespasses and sins. But if you are in Christ, you already have been, and yet one day will be raised to life because, listen to this, Christ defeated death. It's the firstborn. He defeated the grave. 
And because he is the firstborn of the dead, meaning that he's the first defeater of the grave, he is ultimately preeminent. That's what my translation says. Yours may say something else, like he's first or he's supreme. That's what that means. It's his firstness. It's his supremacy. The reason that he is supreme, the reason that he is preeminent, first, foremost, is due to what is described in verses 19 and 20. Look at those. For, okay, so again, ground statement for his preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What's happening here is that Paul explains what qualifies Jesus to be considered preeminent. Remember, this is a persuasive passage. Okay, He's writing this to persuade Colossians that are maybe starting to wander and be duped by false teaching. That fullness isn't found in God, but found in something else. And then Paul says, you want to know what fullness is? Look to the person of Jesus. What qualifies Jesus to be considered preeminent? It makes you wonder... Was he not already preeminent before the cross? You know, Paul is going to talk about the cross in a minute. Does it mean that he, he wasn't supreme before that? And, and maybe that's kind of where your mind goes. Well, Jesus was already preeminent. He was already supreme. But the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection, gave maximum evidence of the supremacy of Christ. There's a documentary that's showing right now on Sunday nights. In fact, it'll show tonight. And that means that I'm excited because it's about Michael Jordan who plays for the or played for the Chicago Bulls once upon a time. Many recognize him as the greatest to ever do it, the greatest to ever lace him up and play the game of basketball. And this is a good documentary. It's, it's interesting to watch. I'm a, I'm a basketball fan. But in that documentary, you know, I don't know if you know much about the, the life and the, and the career of Michael Jordan as a basketball player, but he was pretty good, all right? He was pretty good. And this documentary talks a lot about what, what made him so good at basketball. Michael Jordan won three championships in the early 90s, then he retired, and he went and played baseball, professional baseball, because, you know, that's what you do, apparently. And then he came back after a couple of years, and he won three more championships. Many NBA players have never won a champion. Most NBA players never won a championship at all. And so Michael Jordan went and just, you know, won three, retired, played a couple of years of professional baseball, and then went back and did it again. Michael Jordan is known by many as the greatest to ever do it, and that's why. But here's the thing, if he had not won those last three, he still would have been great. It wouldn't have changed his greatness. But winning those last three, it sort of solidified what was already true. He was already great. But whenever he put that on display, it built evidence for what was already known to be the case. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about, is that what the resurrection did, what the cross of Christ and the resurrection did, is that it gave a new degree of the rule and the reign of Jesus was he supreme already? You better believe it. But what happened when Jesus emptied that grave and when he reconciled creation to God is that he gave evidence that really ramped up the evidence of the preeminency of Jesus. The passage here says, he did this, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things. If you're an underlined person, that's a good word. Reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. It means all things, okay? Making peace. There's another part that's very good to underline. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Well, here's the thing. Just trace that argument, okay? 
for reconciliation and peace to be made, that necessitates that there is current war, there's conflict. And that's exactly right. Is that before Jesus could make reconciliation to make peace, you have to understand that there was conflict, there was war at place. When God created, His creation, including humanity, was at peace. They were at peace with Him, and His creation was at peace within itself. But sin fractured man's relationship with God. But also, all of creation's designed order. There's a passage in Romans chapter 8 that really explains this well, and I'm going to read it. It'll be on your screen. It says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that's man, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What that means is that right now the created order is broken. Things are not how God wants them to be when it's all said and done. And it's not how things were in the beginning in the garden before sin entered the world. Right now, lions eat gazelles, snakes bite with deadly venom, tornadoes knock down trees and destroy. Nations rise against nation to kill and drop bombs on each other. That is simply not God's intended design for his world. And one day, things will be restored. But most importantly, the fact that the created order is broken is why you come into this world not as a neutral party that's, you know, maybe they'll be a good person, maybe they'll be a bad person. No, you and I come into this world as an enemy of God. The Bible says the wages of sin against a holy God is a death sentence. But here's the good news. God is rich in mercy and grace. He made peace by the blood of the cross. The life of Jesus was the death payment for that reconciliation. And the key theme of the cross, and this just blows my mind because it's such a, a beautiful theme. The theme of the cross wasn't violence. That's like saying the theme of the electric chair isn't violence. It's, it's strange to even consider, but the theme of the cross wasn't violence. Because of what it accomplished, the theme of the cross was ultimately peace. And that should blow our minds. It's strange that we put crosses around our necks and crosses in our church buildings. It's a little strange, right? You wouldn't want to put a, a noose around your neck because that would be strange because it signifies death. But although the cross signifies death and capital punishment, that day of tragedy was also a day of glory. The day of the, the worst injustice to ever occur brought salvation for God's church. It's a beautiful paradox. And it is the victory of God's people. Enmity is turned to favor because Jesus made peace where there was only conflict, a relationship where there was only division. And that's why, we looked at it in verse 12. Look, look up at verse 12 real quick. That's why it says, giving thanks to the Father, look, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You've been qualified. That means that naturally, you're disqualified. You're not able 
to receive the inheritance of the saints in light. You're disqualified from that. But because of the work of Jesus, you, by God's grace and mercy, have been qualified. Wow. Again, Jesus got the resurrection party started. And so the, the call to salvation is the same call that, God, or that Jesus gave to Lazarus outside of that tomb. Rise, get up, and walk out. Walk out of the grave to live then in newness of life, not in the old life of conflict with God, but in peace and friendship with God. Sometimes we sing a song, a very good song called In Christ Alone. That's what the lyrics mean. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. If we've been given new life, if we have walked out of the grave, if, if death is defeated in us, then who are we to then go and live dead lives, clinging to the sin that once slayed us? You may have asked Jesus to be your Savior, but have you made him your King? There is a difference. We are all about the Savior part, but have you asked Jesus and made Jesus the King of your life? I'll put it this way, your life force each day should not be your will to succeed or your will to be entertained or your will to make a paycheck or your will to just get by. It shouldn't be, your life force shouldn't be your will to seize the day or to be a good person or to survive another day of quarantine. Church, your life force each day should be your desire to make much of Jesus. And so that's my call to you today. Making much of Jesus. Make him your savior, but live for him as your king. Let's pray together. Father, you are glorious in every way. Lord, help us to fall in line and live with submissiveness behind the truth that all things, including us, were created through your power for your glory. Thank you for this passage where we can reflect and see just the amazing kingship of Jesus. I pray that you would write that truth so deeply and engraved on our hearts that we wouldn't walk around like the living dead, but that we would be lifted by the joy that comes with understanding that Jesus got the resurrection party started. Lord, give us joy. I pray that we would make much of you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, just a reminder as we close today that the discussion questions will be on the screen here in just a moment. Uh, once again, be reminded of our, our big announcement, right? That next week, Sunday, the 10th of May, we'll gather at 10 a.m., our regular worship time. Um, I didn't say that earlier, but it's at 10 a.m., our normal time, in the, the parking lot in front of the church, okay? And so, uh, come ready. I guess that means you can't wear pajamas anymore, right? So you guys have been just chilling on the couch every week. Now, you know what? If you want to wear pajamas, you do that for the glory of God, all right? But come and be ready to worship if you can. And if not, listen... There will be a day that you will, okay? I don't want you to feel shamed or, or, or bad that you can't. Um, we want you to, to, to long for that day, obviously, but uh, we will get there. And if you're, again, if you have small children and that would just be a circus, or if you're immunocompromised or if you're elderly, we want you to be wise. And so uh, we long for the day that we see you too. And if we don't, then, uh, then we long for that day. 
Guys, I love you, and I hope that, uh, that God shows you great favor in the upcoming week, and I'll see you soon. Have a good one.